Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Danelle Dixon. She's the CEO and Executive Director at Stellar Development Foundation. Danelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think it's always really cool for me to have people like yourself that, you know, are famous, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term for it, and, and have done some really exciting, cool stuff. But maybe before we get into all that stuff. Let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yeah, great. I grew up, and by the way, like the whole famous word for me is just fascinating. Um, I don't consider myself that and neither do my children. Um, but here we go. I, I grew up in a small town in uh, California. It's just south of Silicon Valley. It's called Gilroy. Very cool. Okay. So you went to university. What did you take and why? I went to the University of California at Davis, and uh, I, from when I was in third grade, always wanted to be a lawyer, and okay. so I studied uh, political science, and, and I also had a... <laughs> why did you want to be a lawyer and... so young? That's hard. <laughs> this is kind of an embarrassing story, but I'll tell it. All right. I um, used to watch Charlie's Angels at okay. that point, the original Charlie's Angels, sure. and Kate Jackson was then on a made-for-TV movie where she was a female prosecutor, okay. and I watched her, and then I told my dad after I saw that show that I wanted to be like her one day. That's awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> So it was from that that I then decided I wanted to be a lawyer and uh, continued down that path. I was the first person in my family, in my extended family, to actually go to college. And wow. so my dad was uh, very focused on like, just you just have to go one day and you've already done more than anyone else in our family in terms of this education thing. And he did that. He actually said that to me almost every year of all of my um, different years of college and then law school. Um, so it was just a, yeah, it was a pretty great thing. And I also minored in Spanish and that was because I grew up in that rural town right. where there was just so much of that, um, of the, the different cultures. And, and I just loved the Spanish culture and um, the Mexican Latina culture. And so I spent a lot of time just learning more about that. That's awesome. So you, you ended up, well, you've done a ton of stuff. So walk us through the rest of your education um, through your time as CEO at Mozilla and then up until Stellar Development Foundation? Yeah, so I went to law school after I, I worked at law firms. I put myself through college and then also through law school working at different um, law firms and also uh, just doing a host of different jobs. And then I went to law school eventually in San Francisco at the University of California at Hastings. Cool. I loved law school. I thought it was amazing. It was a great opportunity to really just learn how to problem solve, sure. um, which I think is my my like superpower is the idea to like think about what everybody wants in a situation and, and to really help to get us to the best place. And I kind of learned that while I was in school and also being um, in, in my family too. Uh, so I, I after law school, I clerked in Hawaii for a federal judge, and I really got the experience on that side of what litigation was like. And I loved 
litigation. And I then went to a firm and litigated for nine years. Uh, and so I did lots, I did several trials and I loved being in the courtroom. Um, and, and then I realized like that if I continued, my mindset at the time was that if I continued to work at a law firm, there would be these golden handcuffs and I would make more money than I needed. And I really wanted to try to do different things. And I loved learning about business. And wow. so that's why I went to Yahoo. Uh, and I worked at Yahoo in there and I had known Yahoo since it was a really small company because I had, um, I represented them in private practice and it was just a ton of fun to go in house and to work on all these different issues that were coming up. The web was sort of like new and, um, things were just like, it was just a good way to learn about cookies and all these things that now we take for granted in terms of understanding and our knowledge. But, uh, and then I, after that, um, I realized I loved my job, but I, I realized that working at a large company was sort of not my thing. I like to know the people that I work with. Okay. And so I went to work in private equity where I had a really dark spot in terms of understanding like how, you know, all these transactions that take place in PE uh, happen. And, and I finance is really interesting to me, but I didn't have a lot of background in it. And so I went to work for a former client of, um, from private practice of mine. And I, I really just kind of was a fixer and just did a bunch of different things for them. I did a lot of legal work. I did some analysis. I did some investor work and I just loved it. Like I thought it was really great to get a dabble in all these different portfolio businesses. We were in like wind energy and solar power and, and farming and, and cows. And like, it was That's just cool. super fun to have this diversity of experience. Uh, and, but then I missed tech because we didn't have, that wasn't the practice there. And so I did do some volunteer work and I did do some consulting work for different companies in tech while I was working because I was actually living in California, but working UK hours at the time. Um, and so I had a lot of time during the day when my kids were at school. Uh, and so I did a lot of that. And then eventually I found myself at Mozilla and uh, I started there. I was there for seven years. Ultimately, I started there um, as a, a, a lawyer um, and also uh, working on the business side. And then I worked my way up into become the, the chief operating officer, managing a, a chunk of the business, uh, all of the revenue, and also just doing stuff that I loved, which is understanding the technical side of things. And it was been doing the policy work, which to me is such a crucial part of how we actually create innovation is to understand policy at all levels. So yeah, and then I came to Seller. Jed actually called me um, I met Jed through John Lilly, who was one of the, he was the former CEO actually at Mozilla and a friend, and he introduced us. And I thought Jed was actually looking for someone to um, be on his board. And I didn't understand that he was looking when he said director, and I assumed that was just a director, but he was actually looking for an executive director. So midway through the conversation, he was like, well, this is what I'm looking for. And I was like, oh, wait, oh, okay. Like, and then it started clicked and Jed and I talked for about nine months. Uh, about the role and about the opportunities and what Stellar and the Stellar Development Foundation had to offer. And ultimately I realized it was kind of the perfect fit of what I wanted to do. That's awesome. So what do you guys do at Stellar? Or Stellar? Because you guys, there's a ton of stuff. It's actually really interesting. And I also think it's very much needed. Yeah. So the Stellar Development Foundation is a nonprofit, non-stock entity. And okay. the, there's a uniqueness to that, which is why I think that I, I usually like to start with that as the, the background. Sure. So we don't have shareholders, and but we pay taxes. We're not a charity. 
We don't have shareholders. And that means that we actually are beholden to only one thing, which is our mission. And the mission for the Stellar Development Foundation is creating equitable access to the global financial system. And the, the process and the tactics that the Stellar Development Foundation utilizes to get to that, to, to that ultimate mission is shepherding the code base for the Stellar Network. Uh, it's an open source ne network. It's a, it's a decentralized. We, we do help to create the ecosystem, to grow the ecosystem, but we're just one player of many. And then the, the other areas that we really focus on at the Stellar Development Foundation is the policy piece, which again, I think is crucial, especially with new technologies to be able to engage with regulators and policymakers all over the world. Um, and then we also focus on ecosystem development, whether that be through um, investment into different projects in the ecosystem or outside of the ecosystem that we wanna bring in, or through really helping to grow these uh, entities that are already building by connecting one another, um, them to someone else in the ecosystem. So honestly, I actually have to say, it is by far for me, the most perfect role. It blends all of my experience on the business side with all of my desires and love of the policy side with this technical love of what we're trying to build, which is something that I think really changes lives. And so we have this ability to do all of these things if put together in the right way. No, I 100% agree with you. So how does somebody actually use Stellar? Yeah, so the network itself, um, we have, you know, contributors from different sectors and different um, participants in the network that actually build the network. So the network layer, if you think about it, it's, it's the, it's like the underpinnings of the internet, right? It's the it is this, um, this decentralized network of computers that actually vote on different transactions to make sure that they are, uh, that they're valid transactions in the network. So in order, that's just the, we support and we grow that, that tech stack that underlying those rails. Okay. Um, again, much in the same way that the internet is set up and structured. Uh, so no one person controls, no one entity controls that, that um, the underlying rails and the, the network layer itself. To engage with Stellar uh, as an entity, you'd have to integrate with Stellar. And you can do that by participating and being part of the, you know, you can create your own validator, you can create your own node, and then you can be part of that ecosystem that's building the network itself and creating that network. Or you can just choose to, to you know, there's we, we're exceptionally good at creating the um, documentation. And so you can build whatever you can take the APIs or build whatever you need to do from the documentation in order to integrate. But the important piece of this is like, how does what do entities on Stellar do? And how does one as an individual engage with Stellar? I think that entities are doing a variety of different things. You know, we have entities on there that sell uh, uh, stock, like literally blue chip stock in the US, you can purchase using the network and DStock is the entity that does that. You can also sell, you can buy fractionalized interest in real estate um, through another entity. You can also use, and you can, we, we have a wallet, but also other entities out there have wallets so that you can actually, you know, decide that you want to take, buy a digital asset and then send that asset to your family member or to a friend or to a company in another region. And that happens in five seconds. So you enter onto the Stellar network through all of these different applications that are out there and available on Stellar. Uh, and it, it really creates this seamless opportunity for you to engage in much the same way that you send an email, you could actually send a value 
um, and what that value is that you choose to send, whether it's digitized USD or whether it's gold or silver or fractionalized interest in property, like you can do all of that over the Stellar Network. That's that's actually really cool. And I think for people that haven't tried to do some of this stuff before, exchanging this stuff quick, fast, and easy to certain parts of the world, it, it sounds like, well, like how hard can that be? It's actually like really, really difficult. Is that fair to say? Until like what yeah, you guys are really, building. Yeah, it's really, it's frustrating to me sometimes. And this is part of the challenge that we get into. And I, I don't want to be critical of Silicon Valley because I love Silicon Valley. And so much sure. of my life has been focused on the work that we do here. But sometimes we get into this, like, think, like we think locally, like we think about what our problems are here. Right. It's really easy for us to walk down the street and to get to a bank or an ATM. It's really hard for people in other regions. Sure. And so what we're really focused on is the unbanked or the underbanked and really getting them the opportunity to be able to do all of this within their own control on a mobile device, for example. So they don't have to go and ask someone else to do this for them or wait to be able to go to the bank, which may be in the next town, to be able to do that. And three to five seconds and have a transaction to go from, let's just say that you are in California, but your family is in Argentina right. and you want to send money back to them. To do so over the banking rails, it just takes a lot of time uh, and it takes fees. And so when you do this from your mobile device and get it over to Argentina in three to five seconds, it's a pretty remarkable, like it just does such a service to humans. And that I think is the thing that we need to like be thinking more globally about uh, and, and to think about the, the challenges that blockchain can solve for others in, in lots of different parts of the world. Sure. And I, I guess, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, just for some context on that, like if you're doing something in three to five seconds, you're basically fixing, like if you're trying to send even money between Canada and America can take 14 business days, sometimes less, sometimes longer. And to go to another part of the world can take weeks. Is, is that fair to say just for some context for people? Yeah, I think it could probably take, so here's, here, I think it can take five to, to, to 15, to 10 to 15 days, depending okay. on what you're trying to get done. Sure. I think, you know, here's the, here's some context. I have one bank account at one, um, one, uh, one bank here in the right. U.S. And then I have another at a different bank. And when I send money between those two accounts, it takes four days for it to show up. Wow. Even though I've sent the money and it's been removed from my account, it takes four days for it to show up in the other institution. Sure. And it, I marvel at that because yeah. that's just like, there's, there's a lot of potential opportunity for loss of interest and lots of use during that time period. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you think about even that, like that takes time, but if you're actually trying to do it and, 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 and forget the fact that like what you just articulated is right in terms of the amount of time, but think about the fact that what if my sister over in, you know, Uganda doesn't have access to a bank account totally. that's right down the street and, but she could do it on, on uh, the web, like either on her mobile device or from her home. Those are the things that is actually super useful when you think about blockchain, because when you have that digital asset, then you could convert that digital asset into your local currency by going to there. We call on there's on and off ramps on right. the on the stellar network. So you have to go to a financial institution or to like the 7-Eleven down the street that actually has that you can do on and off ramp um, services there um, to get your actual cash. But what if you never needed to do that and you could keep it in this digital form and utilize that digital form either to hold it 
and to, you know, maybe you, maybe your local currency is inflationary and you actually want to hold it in a USD token so that you can combat that, that inflation. That's another thing that you can do that, that folks who didn't have access because they couldn't open a bank account or that their local currency is so volatile that they want to actually hold it in a different asset. You can do that now using blockchain. And so that to me is like a pretty phenomenal like just these small things that we take for granted are huge opportunities for folks that are unbanked or underbanked all over the world. Sure. Well, and you you pointed out something that I think a lot of people take for granted too is like the US currency like for for let's just say for ease of use is like pretty stable compared to a lot of currencies in the world and to your point like being able to be in another country that that their currency isn't stable that they could basically store all their assets as a US dollar is actually like revolutionary, right? Because that was never a possibility within like, even within the last like five to 10 years, it was unless you were like a super, super nerd, fair to say? Yep, I think that's right. And so what we've done, we actually just, and what we, what we do is we actually try to focus on the tech stack and, but we have built, we just launched uh, this, this wallet called Vibrant. And what the and Vibrant's actually focused on the Argentinian market. What we're trying to do by this wallet is we launched it to show that this is what you can do with the power of Stellar, the network. Um, and this is exactly the focal point. Like we have an on-ramp and off-ramp in Argentina. Okay. And we also have USD anchors. We call them anchors, the on and off-ramps on the network. And so you can actually, in Argentina, purchase ARFT X, I think it is. Um, and it's a digital token that is backed by one-to-one -one backed by Argentinian pesos. And then oh, you can you can convert that to a USD token that's backed one-to-one -one in a bank account here in the US uh, or USD. So you can actually take your money and now you can hold it in USD. And then you want to convert back out of it. You can do that, but you can hold it there and you don't have to keep it you know, in your mattress, because you're worried about like, if you put it in a bank, what kinds of inflationary activity is going to happen, or, you know, whether or not you're going to get charged interest or, 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 you know, you're not going to receive that kind of thing. So again, these are small things, but this is an important piece, an important step. And so we're, we're, we just launched that product, but there are other products. Like for me, I love the D stock product. Like we take for granted here that we can buy blue chip stock. Like you can purchase you know, whatever you want in terms of in, in the US um, and because you have access to be able to do that. But now using DStock, because they've tokenized the, the, um, the like Apple stock, for example, you can actually purchase that in a different country and you can hold, you know, some fractionalized interest or the whole interest in that particular piece of stock. That is also so unique and new. And it all can be done because of the use of these rails that interoperate with different financial structures. No, that's that's very cool. I, I also think um, something else that you guys do that I want to touch on uh, is the micropayment space. Because, sure, in countries that their banking system or they don't have a bank account, um, it really helps. But I think globally, just having the ability to have these micropayments and transfer funds and, and, and pay for things is actually really beneficial. Do you want to dive a little bit deeper into micropayments? Yeah, well, so for me, like microtransactions are just a fascinating world. I've always believed that it, when I was at Mozilla and I spent so much time focusing on Firefox, I always wanted to have like a little tip jar 
okay. the browser that you could like dip out to different like different companies that you went to visit. Maybe you, you know, support them because you don't want to see ads on their site or whatever. And this tip jar can actually do that. Brave is actually the Brave browser has instituted right. a lot of these different interesting ideas around there. So it's not actually like the microtransaction space is actually not just interesting in in developing markets. It's super interesting in this market too, because microtransactions have always been something that have too costly right. to be able to do. And when you utilize blockchain, the cost of the transactions will be utilized certain of the blockchains. I know that the gas in, in certain blockchains like ETH and um in, in Bitcoin, it's, it's costly, uh, so it's different. But when you're looking at these these other chains, like ours, for example, or like Stellar, it's a very it's an insignificant. You know, one penny can get you hundreds of thousands of transactions. And so, from a developer standpoint, and so that's crucial. So these little microtransactions you can do, and it it changes everything. Like you know, you don't it doesn't cost you two dollars to purchase something for fifty cents anymore. You know that's excessive. I'm not sure that that's ever the case, but it's like it's a rational charge for the for the developer who's doing this. So it's really important, I think. No, I 100% agree with you. I think that it makes a lot of sense. So for people that maybe are a little bit skeptical still of like blockchain and, and cryptocurrency, do you want to maybe demystify it a li little bit and talk about why? Well, and I I think it's it's basically going to be the future in in some sort of version we may not be 100 percent there yet um but i also think like in in some cases we should never be 100 percent there because it's going to be always evolving do you, do you maybe want to give us a bit of background and your thoughts on that yeah so i think that where uh where blockchain started and in crypto when you use the crypto word that's the one that usually scares people right. i think is that it started it a little bit like something that's it's, it's or middle finger, putting its middle finger out to the rest of the, the traditional financial sector and saying that it could do its own way and it could do it in, in a, and, and so that challenger sort of mentality. And I don't think that that's where it is today. Like we certainly believe that interoperability with the, with the existing financial system is really important. Right. Um, if you think about what blockchain is, and this is what I, I always like, I, I did this with my kids because my kids could then um, tell me if I'm explaining it well enough. But if you think about it as really just like, it's a ledger. It's just a ledger of, you know, you can create your own ledgers for your own bank accounts when you're trying to make sure that you have gone through and you've, you've actually spent the money that's in your bank account. You create your own system of making sure that, that you actually spent it here and this is what you received for it. That's how you do it. Well, this is what a blockchain is, right? It's just a different block. Each block is just a ledger and it's a ledger. It's, there's entries that are on the ledger. So Danelle sends, um, if I sent money to my son, Dylan, it, would, it, it wouldn't show our names, but it would show our accounts and it would be on the ledger and how much money was sent from one account to the other account. And that's all that the ledger is. There's no other, you know, there's no other um, important distinctions between what this document is than, than that. And then the, 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 cryptograph the cryptography comes into these, um, the, the transactions, because what you want to make sure is you don't have spam in the network you don't have you have to like make it so that it's going to be secure so each block on ours is a thousand transactions and you and then you it's all these written like just think of written transactions in the block and then once that you've hit the thousand you close the block and then you put it and you move to the next block and you create this chain of transactions so that's the way i think about blockchain that's what blockchain is cryptography comes to make sure that there's security in there and then the, the tokens themselves, like the Lumen, for example, on the network, it, it comes in there so that we don't have DDoS and spam so that we can make sure that if it was free and there were no 
um, fees in the in the blockchain to be able to utilize it, you could just like continue to spam it, spam it, spam it, and maybe like try to steal um, different uh, tokens or different assets. And this actually stops that from happening when you have it. So you have cryptography in there to make sure that the transaction is secure. And then you have this token in there to make sure that you're not actually, um, uh, you're, you're protecting the transactions from, or the network itself from that, that spam or those DDoS attacks. So it's actually a pretty simple process. And I love to show it. I literally, what I like to do is to show a ledger. Sure. Because if you see the ledger, you're like, oh, that makes total sense. That's all it is. But people without thinking about it, I used to say this all the time with encryption. If you tried to talk to people about encryption, they would like their eyes would glaze over and they'd be like, whatever. Like, I don't know. That's what people use when they are on these. Um, I remember I actually literally had a sixth grader when I was doing a presentation to some folks at Firefox and Mozilla tell me that that was things that 007 used <laughs> encryption <laughs> and that we actually didn't use it in real life. And uh, when I was like, well, actually you use it every day in your communications or in like when you go on to check your bank account and, you know, it's just one of those things when you make it simple for people and you actually show them what it looks like, they are less concerned about it. No, that, that's, that totally makes sense. Well, and I also think too, the fact that it's kind of net neutral and not really controlled by like a, a certain type of one bank or one institution or one government and, and people can basically audit it themselves and if they really understand can dive quite deep into what's happening it, it just benefits everybody is that correct or fair to say oh so like that's you're like speaking my language in terms of those things but i have to just tell you that the average person doesn't really care about those things for the most part sure. it's one of those things that it's cable stakes from my standpoint like that's the stuff i used to say this about privacy too uh when i was at mozilla and and before that at yahoo you actually shouldn't try to um, people should just be able to know that when they're using your software, that, that it, you're, you're going to do everything you can to, to keep their, their information private. And so it's table stakes, right? Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't have to sell on that. And the same is true. Like when we used to talk about openness at Mozilla, or when I talk about open source here and the decentralized nature of the network, those are things that not everyone cares about, but it brings a value. There is a value proposition there that I think is really important, but you can't actually make people um, want to participate, like make an average user want to participate just based on that value, you have to solve a problem for them. And then they can take advantage of that value, but they don't need to be jumping in to say, oh yeah, I care about decentralization. The truth is we care about decentralization and we think it benefits not just the average consumer, but we think it actually benefits the applications that are building on each of the, on the network. Um, we think it actually does create this interoperability point when you're decentralized and you're open to integrating with everyone all over the world. You're permissionless, you're available, you can have folks build on it without contacting us. Those are all really important things, but that can't be your value proposition. Your value proposition has to be that I am solving your problem. And here's what you can do using this technology to solve those problems. The rest of it is our reason for doing it. And Ultimately, if someone wants to dive in deep, they can see that. Um, but you know, not the average user is not going to want to do that. And that's okay. No, I agree with you. I actually think that's really good advice, right? And I and I do agree that unless you're kind of a super nerd, and I would put myself in that category, like you don't, the average person doesn't care, and they just kind of expect that out of the box. But it it is interesting to me that it seems like more and more companies are actually caring about that and it be, is becoming important and you're right 
that it like shouldn't be your value prop, but there's been a, a few companies in the last few months that haven't cared about people's privacy and security and it's kind of bit them, right? And so I think it's kind of opened the eyes a little bit to companies to actually like, I've even known companies like, oh, we really need to step up our security or, or care more about some of this stuff that maybe we've been a little bit lax on. So it, it that's an interesting perspective and I, and I agree with you. I think that that's the whole way that this works. And then I love to see how this is like the world is transitioning to caring more about the privacy pieces, caring right. more about interoperability. What we see happen, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to disparage any company out there. I have worked with all of the, the five major companies on, on the web, and I think that they all have fantastic offerings and services. Otherwise, users wouldn't use them. Sure. But the truth is, when you get to a part of the web where there's all these walled gardens and you can't actually build bridges between the gardens, it does create different, like, different facets of the web and the web was intended to be this open and accessible place for interoperability to abound one of the things and that's not how it's happened today right we have these walled gardens that exist that are beautiful and uh you know we all partake in them because they're very user-friendly and they're and we're used to them but it has actually that 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 lack of interoperability has created challenges for developers yeah. and it's it's actually becoming more and more evident to, de to developers and to consumers as they get further into these walls. I hope on our um, focusing on this, this notion of decentralized, uh, the, ne the networks and, and, and payments, which is really what we're focused on. If we continue to focus on this openness and this interoperability, that we can actually make what is like what the value proposition that the web offered 20 years ago, we can actually make it real on the financial side of the web and I, or what we're building with these rails. And I love that. And I think that we've learned a lot and seen a lot of the challenges. And so we just need to continue to focus on this interoperability point, because if we do that, not only will there be engagement globally much more easily than I think that, um, with, that we see today, you will also have innovation and competition in ways that we don't see today on, um, you know, in, in the content side of the web. Sure. No, that that's actually really interesting and kind of leads me into my next question to you is like, I think you pointed it out earlier about we're so focused on a North American market in, in North America where uh, like what you guys are doing at Stellar just in the payment side of things, being able to accept currency and payments from people in other parts of the world actually allow me as a developer or designer or startup or even a big enterprise like it doesn't really matter to actually onboard and have paying customers globally basically instantly instead of you know i got to roll out to this part of the world and then it's going to take me six months and i got to roll out to this part and etc etc is that kind of fair to say and i get that's kind of a crappy example but you're basically left no, the I don't think, field. Well, we're trying. Like that's the whole notion of this, and I don't think it's a crappy example. I think if you think about what the these these rails have to offer, is that if you think about, let's take um, any of the, you know, you either when you're doing wire transfers, it takes a long time, but you also have to have, like, if you're trying to get money and and you happen you want to get it over to Europe for yourself. Well, unless you have a bank account in Europe, it's going to be harder for you to do that, right? You can wire between your own accounts. That does take time, but it also means that you had to try to establish a bank account in that region. Um, that you can't 
you can't do. Like it's just, you know, you might not be able to do that because you might not have the ability to open an account there. Right. This actually makes it so you don't need to worry about that. You can actually hold a USD, uh, excuse me, a Euro, a Euro token um, on on the network. And then you can get an off ramp. If you need to get it while you're in Europe, you can get an off ramp and you can go there and, and make that happen. Uh, it, it actually does really simplify business. Um, for folks, one of our anchors on the network is um, a Nigerian anchor, and they're called Kauri. Uh, they have an NGNT token, and part of their business is actually like, they have this token that you can actually use, and you can, you know, the, the end users can actually purchase NGNT, and they can do what they want with it. But what their business is is that they actually want to get money from their their clients, their customers, which are mostly businesses from Nigeria to Europe, for example, oh, and they want to pay them. And what they do is now they can use the NGNT token and then they can purchase Euro token and then they can actually work with the, the, the anchor on, on in Europe. And then in Europe, they can put it in the bank accounts for these different um, entities that they're paying. So that it, it originally came from clients for Calry and then it goes over to their counterparties in Europe. And this process is just seamless. And the, and the, the most important part of this and, and how we're going to make blockchain successful is by not focusing on the need that everyone know that it's blockchain that you're utilizing. Um, not everyone understands the underpinnings of the internet, right? It's sure. the same idea is that these folks that are on the, on the, on the one side of the calorie transactions, they might not even know that blockchain is how calories making it happen. They just know that they're getting good. There's the, the fees are good and the, the transaction is very fast. And so they, all they care about is that it's in their bank account in Europe or in their um, counterparty's bank account in Europe. Those are the things that can happen with blockchain. And when we, fo when we stop focusing on making, um, you know, when we started building the web 20 years ago or whenever, we, um, it was mostly built for people who wanted to take the time and energy to understand the underpinnings of it to make it work for them. And then we got to this notion of focusing on the end user, wh whoever that might be, whether it's a person or a company and making it easy for that end user. And it just took some time to transition to that. And I think the same is true for blockchain. Now we're really recognizing that in order to make blockchain move to the next level, we need to focus on ease of use and usability. And not everyone needs to know that it's blockchain. All they need to know is that their transactions are happening and they're safe. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. You're right, because the user never cares if they push, like how, what happens when they push that button. They just want that button to work and be exactly. fast, right? Like they don't care about the technology behind it and they shouldn't in, in a lot of cases. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so funny. When I was at uh, Mozilla, we built this phenomenal operating system, and it was built using HTML5, and it was a competitor to Android, and we focused on developing markets, and we did all this really great work, and then we positioned it as it's HTML5, so everyone should be happy, and it's super private, and the truth is, like, people don't care. They want, again, to solve the problem. Like, what is the problem that this, this particular OS solves that's different? And if you can't have a value proposition to it, then you can't actually make it successful, no matter how beautiful and wonderful the technology is underneath it. So that's what we need to focus on. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. And that's like a really good example for people because, well, I played with it. It was actually like, you're right. It was beautiful and it was, it was cool. But, <laughs> but yeah, like it was just kind of like, well, how is this different? I, I was curious to see where it went. And then obviously it got killed off, which is too bad, but that, that doesn't really matter. 
it um, did, but then there was another company that picked it up because it was an open source project and they've been very successful. So it's awesome to see that's what open source actually does too, sure. is that open source allows people to build on your work and to make it and to take it to a place maybe that you couldn't get it to. Sure. So I'm curious, like other outside of kind of blockchain and all the stuff we've talked about today, do you have any other kind of thoughts or things that you maybe see happening online in the next three to five years? Or, or are we going to bring some of the online stuff back into the physical world? Or, or what are your thoughts on any ideas or predictions? Oh, gosh, it's such a great question. I, I, um, I love all of this space. And I, and I see it through the eyes of my kids a lot. Um, we, we have five boys and our boys range from 11 to 20. And so okay. we have like a very wide, wide view of what they engage with. And we saw like a lot of, um, you know, the younger generation giving a lot of information about themselves out to the world and um, not being super protective of themselves. Sure. We see that shifting a little bit. So I wonder, I don't know that we're going to go back to, um, although I think local is going to be important, but I don't know that we're going to go back to all brick and mortar. Uh, I think we're still going to stay very connected online with respect to things, but I do see a bit of a shift even in the social engagement piece already. And I'm just super anxious to see even like the gig economy, like that was just, it, it's just so connected to like, I think our, my, our older kids, like what they see is like, you shouldn't have to buy all the stuff. You should be able to share and utilize. So I still think that that's going to be part of it. I wonder if the pandemic and like the way that we look at the world is going to shift a little bit of that. Already we see some of it has shifted, but I don't know once we get the vaccines, if things will change. Sure. Um, but I do really look at this generation as a generation of more cooperation and less competition um, in terms of the, the what we used to call like that cooperative competition where I think that we'll see like more interoperability and wanting to be able to connect things up uh, in ways that we did 20 years ago when we first built this kind of technology. I'm hopeful that that's gonna be sort of the next phase that we see where we're gonna see smaller players connecting together to make these larger opportunities. Um, but I don't know what the different spaces are going to look like. I just, I, I really look to this next generation to create things that are really about solving problems and maybe some of the biggest problems that we have in the world. So I'm, I'm anxious to see where it goes. And that's where I think blockchain actually fits into a lot of this too, because I do think that it's not going to be about like, there has to be one winner. I never believe that one winner actually solves the problem. I think that one winner means that you're not going to see changes and in innovation and creativity. So I think that we're going to spread ourselves. I, I think this next generation is going to spread itself out a bit more to have a lot of different players and a lot of different winners. Interesting. And and I you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like younger generations aren't so motivated by money and getting like they're, they're more like to your point, like collaborating and, and trying to like maybe share it out a little bit more. I, I get that's like a very generalization, but I, I think to your point, it seems like they're more open to like work less hours and, or have a funner job just because like, right. For, for less, maybe less money. Right. And I think I'm wondering if that's going to keep going or if it's, it's going to kind of transition back into I don't know, maybe like we're more of a greed type eighties kind of thing, right? Like, do you have any yeah. thoughts around that just because I, of your range of, of kids and, and ages? Yeah. I, I totally see that with our kids. I see that they're way more interested in the greater good. Now I think that, you know, our kids live a bit of like a privileged life because they sure. get to grow up in an environment where um, they have a lot of really great things around them. 
and a lot of opportunities for themselves. So I have to be cognizant. Well, you got you got to check on that a little bit. But I do just feel like so I marvel at, you know, some of the things that, you know, I, when you said like the, the sharing of more like the different uh, economic views that our boys have, like the older boys and they're in college now and they talk about things. It's very it's different from the way that I thought of the world, certainly at their age. And I, I wish I wish that I could have been more like them. Um, and I think you are a product of the times. So I, I'm hopeful. I'm super, super hopeful. I, I think that we have um, just a lot of great minds coming up and a lot of, you know, the focus on the climate and the environment and how we can actually really just the small steps that we can do to change that. You know, one of my, one of my boys is working on like uh, eliminating plastics from the university that he's at. And like, those are the kinds of things that I wish that like, gosh, wouldn't it have been cool if I could have focused on that when I was in college. But again, you're a product of the times that are around you. And this is pretty awesome to see what these kids have open to them. Sure. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious, obviously you've been very successful in your career. What advice do you give people, especially just with everything that's happening right now, obviously like just being a woman in tech, like let's be honest here, it's always kind of, you've always been in in a more male dominated industry. I, I hope it's getting better. What are your thoughts on the status of that? And, and what, like what advice do you give kind of people? It doesn't really matter, male, female, um, different races for, for actually being successful or, or following their passions and, and chasing their dreams. Yeah, it's so great because it's not only male dominated in my in my um uh, my work life, it's male dominated in my home life. Right. So I, I definitely <laughs> had a lot of that. I um I my the biggest piece there's like two things that I think about um and it just depends. Like I wish that uh you know more folks could just follow their instincts and do the things that matter to them. One of the things that I you know again like I think it's like how you're raised. My dad was always the one telling me you can do whatever you want to do and sure. don't like there's nothing that can stop you except for yourself essentially and so that's the way that I looked at my whole life and so I hope that there are more women out there that are being told the same thing or more girls that are being told the same thing and that open themselves up to be able to do anything that they want to do and I think that we're seeing more opportunity I, I mean I'm again like marvel at this next generation and how open they are to differences and just to one another I'm hopeful that we can see um, more of that. I don't see like a big change in terms of percentages in tech okay. right now on the gender issue. I do feel like the fact that we talk about it and the fact that it's something that is important. Someone asked me the other day why it's important. It's like just a no-brainer, right? Like when you <laughs> have products that you're that you're building for humans, you have to respect all of the humans and the views that all of those humans and the problems that all of those humans have. And whether they're they're women or men, or whether they are from different parts of the world, it's so important to have that diversity of thought in every single product that you build. And you have to recognize who you're building for. And you know, for blockchain, what is so important is that what we've recognized is that for those countries that have women participating in the economy, whether that be in traditional uh, uh, positions or whether that be in non-traditional, meaning that or outside the labor market where they're actually making extra meals so that they can support their family and selling those, when we allow them to participate and we encourage them to participate, it increases the GDP in those countries. And so it's just a no-brainer. And so my, my biggest piece of advice for 
anyone out there, and I'll just particularly focus on, on women because sure. I know that side of it, is to follow your instincts and trust yourself. And don't, you know, get knocked off kilter because you don't see yourself all the time represented in positions of power, or you might have a different or contrary view to the others in the room. Just trust your instincts and trust yourself and go with it and jump in. And for me, I never followed the, I never did my career by following where I was going to make the most money. I always was concerned that if I made too much money, I would stay in a role and not like expand my brain, expand my, my reach. And um, I think that was like, I, you know, I could have done a lot of different things. I could have been at a lot of different companies and I made choices around my own passion and how I wanted to live my life. And I think that that's the other part is that things kind of fall in place if you just push and you keep pushing to do what it is that you want to do. Sure. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. I, I also think, um, and you can answer this if you want, like you obviously have kids and you, you've you had five five kids. Like I feel sometimes, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, that like um, some females feel like if they have kids, it's de detrimental to their career and like your proof that it's not right. And you can still do it yeah. and have a family and still be successful. Yeah. And I think it's all dependent on how you choose to look at success. Okay. Success for me, like I look at my success as like paramount in my life. Um, I actually, my, I had three boys, my partner had two, so we've combined okay. to have the five. So what's paramount in my life is that I chose to have these children and I damn well better focus on raising them and raising them in a way that is going to allow them to be productive humans in their life. And so that is like the most important thing that I, that that's my first job. Sure. And then the other part that was the most important and the way that I chose to look at this was I needed to be happy while I was doing that. And that meant that I needed to use the, the parts of my brain to be able to keep me intellectually stimulated. Every person Every woman, every man has to make the choice about whether or not they want to continue to work in the um, in, outside the home. And those are choices that you can make as a family. My choice was I knew that I could be like the kind of mom that I wanted to be for my children and also stimulate myself in a different way outside the home because that's what was important to me at that time. And and I made it work and I pushed on in, in every environment and I and every work environment that I was in and I let everyone know what my priorities were, but that I was going to stand up and be there when I needed to be. But I also my priority was my home. So I think it's absolutely possible. And for me, that's success. Like success is being able to do things that I love on both sides. And so, you know, again, I don't count success by the dollars and cents in my bank account. I count it by like how happy I am in my life. And so we've been able to, I think, balance both. And I think everyone can. It just depends on what you think success is. And uh, I encourage everyone to really like evaluate for themselves what success looks like. And then they can, I think you can achieve it, whatever that is, whether it is the dollars and cents in the bank account, I think you can achieve that success too. And I think you can do it in a way that's actually going to be useful for your, your children too. So I, I don't judge any of those things. I just think we all need to look at our lives and figure out what's going to make us happy. No, I, I think that's really good advice. And you got to admit, like, I'm sure it was extremely challenging at times, but like, that's just also part of life. Right. And I think sometimes yeah. people let, let that kind of block them as well. It's like, well, that sounds too hard. It's like, yeah, but if you really want to go for it and you have the opportunity to go for something, whatever that, to your point, like success means to you, 
then I just I hate when people talk about it, but it's like, okay, well, what are you doing to actually like make that happen for yourself? And then it's always disheartening when they're like, well, nothing. And you're like, well, why? <laughs> like, that's achievable, right? Because there's people that have achieved that before with w better and worse circumstances than you're currently in, right? Not you, but like the person you're talking about, yeah. right? Like, it's always yeah. interesting. I think that's right. I think it's right. But I also think that one of the things we have to recognize in life is that there's a lot of luck that comes to things sure. and luck or like you just show up in the right place at the right time, but it happens for everyone in different levels. And so, you know, so much of it is like how you think about the world. One, I read a book one time that talked about if you really want to see butterflies every day, you have to know that you have to think about seeing butterflies every day and then you get to see them. And it's true, actually, if you if you like put position your mind in a way like you see the world the way you want to see it, it ultimately you'll you'll help to make it happen. And so it's all about your internal, like how much that you want to push yourself to be able to, to see the world the way you want. No, I, I think that's that's really good advice. But sadly, we're out of time. So how about we <laughs> close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about stellar yourself and anything else you want to mention yeah great like i i love for folks to just go to the stellar.org website there's so much information there about what uh sds is doing in terms of the policy pieces but also what stellar has to offer all the different developers that are out there and i would love to have more folks participate in the network and participate in terms of the, the other like even the policy issues that we're trying to focus on and uh, yeah, I think that, you know, we, we all want to make the world a better place. And this is one good way to do it. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.